This week on the Dylan and Dylan Show, the Out of the Box Draft covers the best sports commercials. Question and answer covers how much impact does a pro head coach have and what is the best postseason format. This week in sports covers the PGA Tour and Live Golf and picks for the NBA Finals Game 4 between the Warriors and Celtics. to the Dylan and Dylan Show, presented by Television Sports, officially starting year two of the podcast. Excited to be with you on this Friday, June 10th edition of the show. DJ Dylan Jesperson here, back at my parents' house for this week and next week before I get my new jigs closer to my new job. With me, as always, is DH Dylan Holt. Dylan, how are you doing, my man? I'm doing fantastic. Um, I was telling Dylan before we started, I I got to travel a little bit more last weekend. I went to uh, Eastern Tennessee and I, I've just gotten on this voyage in the past year of like trying to go to the, just different sporting events. Got to go to a double A baseball game, which if you haven't been to a minor league baseball game, it's a lot of fun. I got to see the Tennessee Smokies play the Birmingham Barons, which the Birmingham Barons might strike a chord with you. That's the team Michael Jordan played with back in the day. Um, got to see a different kind of upcoming star, not Michael Jordan, but I got to see Ioannis Cespedes' little brother play, which was really neat uh, because – I mean, like, you see the name Cespedes, you're like, oh, surely he's related to Ioannis. And I looked it up, and I was like, yeah, he is. It's his little brother. He's one of the White Sox top prospects. So, well, that's really neat. It was a really fun game, lots of home runs. Just just a fun time overall. Just being at a sporting event just at any point now is fun. We talked about it a lot in the first year of the Dylan and Dylan Show. Coming out of COVID, just getting to go to sporting events, it's a blast. And just couldn't have had more fun uh, just getting to watch a baseball game. And I have to throw this in. A happy belated birthday to my mom. She she turned 50 this week, so I had to get a happy birthday out there to uh, good old Miss Stacy. Happy birthday, mom. Uh, but yeah, how are you doing? I'm doing pretty good. Happy birthday to Miss Stacy. Uh, I'm ready to get going today. Uh, uh, thank you, everyone who turned into our year anniversary special last week. Looking forward to bigger and better things in year two. First up, it's back to out of the box. Uh, this week, We've seemingly tackled all of our topical drafts for the time being, so we went into our piggy bank of potential drafts and pulled out a good one. This week, we are going into the best sports commercials of all time. We will be taking a crack at assembling the better list of sports-related commercials ever released, a deep category with a ton of different directions to take things, and I'm super excited to get into it. I've got a coin ready to go. I got the normal heads. I've got the North Carolina uh, Blue Ridge Parkway on the back uh, for the tails. So I'm assuming you're going heads, though. Oh, yeah, I'm going heads. And we got a heads. There we go. Um, I'll take the first pick. All right. It's all yours. Um, I'm going to go with, hmm, this is tough. 
but I really like this commercial. I think it's awesome. I'm going with the Derek Jeter Nike commercial, the tip of the hat, where they go all around Yankee Stadium, New York, the whole country, and they just have different people paying respect to Derek Jeter. It was the summer of his retirement. The It's the respect with the S is replaced with the two that Nike did. Um, it's just really – I watched it before we started, and you've got – Red Sox fans and players. I think it's John Lester was tipping the hat. Um, you got fans tipping the hat. Obviously, Yankee fans throughout the crowd. And there's famous ones, Rudy Giuliani, Spike Lee, Jay-Z, all tipping the Yankee cap. Uh, little kids. You've got uh, different players throughout the league. You, There's a funny part where they show City Field and it's Mets fans and Mr. Met tipping the hat and they blur their faces. I got a good kick out of that. I forgot all about that. Michael Jordan tips the hat. It's just, it's a really nice homage to the captain, Derek Jeter, in his last days in the league, a legend in his own right, and just a very, very nice commercial by Nike, just paying respect to one of their top athletes. Uh, in the MLB, probably the top athlete they've had in the past two decades in Derek Jeter. So, yeah, I, I love that commercial. I just think it's really, really neat. I People probably thought I would have went for, like, a funny commercial, but I just think that commercial, it's a very, like, just paying homage to Derek Jeter. I just think it's really, really neat. I really like it. It's the captain. It's Derek Jeter. I, everybody likes Jeter. Uh, so, yeah, I'm going with the Jeter commercial first, the Nike one. Throw it to you for your first two. Yeah, I love that pick. And like I said, there's a ton of different directions you can go with this one. The humorous, the funny ones, uh, and then like the more serious ones like that one. And uh, obviously a great pick. Uh, With my first pick, uh, I think the This is Sports Center campaign is probably like the pinnacle of sports commercials. When I think about uh, those, like watching the classic ones makes you think of like the simpler time when sports was like just fun you know, ESPN was on everyone's TV. Sports Center was the place to go for, you know, highlights and, you know, inter- the internet, websites, podcasts like ours have made Sports Center kind of like, you know, the need for it has gone away a little bit. But I will always remember the time between like 2000 and 2007 as ESPN's reign and the This Is Sports Center commercials were a big part of that. Uh, if I was a mean guy, I would just claim the entire category for myself and just say This Is Sports Center. Uh, but I'll pick one. Uh, I think the fair thing to do is just to limit myself to one. Uh, And among all of those great classic ones, uh, I chose one of the simplest ones that I think is going to be going to go down as one of the most iconic ones. Uh, It starts off with LeBron hunched over at a copier trying to, to get things fixed up. And Stuart Scott comes uh, comes by in the background, sees LeBron messing with the copier, struggling with the copier, and just goes, <laughs> chosen one, and walks away. And I just think it was just like, it was the perfect like encapsulation of what they were trying to do with the This Is Sports Center commercial is like, make it, you know, it's like athletes in an office kind of setting where it just is, you know, this is what sports center is. It's just athletes coming around and being a part of this. And that's, you know, it was, you know, it's funny. It's perfect. And it's simple. It's perfect in its simplicity is what I'm trying to say. It's like, it just, it just works. And I think it's going to be iconic because of the people in it, you know, you've got LeBron, a young LeBron when he's, uh, you know, initially on the Cavs and then Stuart Scott, the late great Stuart Scott. So uh, I'll have happy to have that with my first pick. Uh, with my second pick, uh, I'm going to move on to my MJ pick. Uh, nobody does commercials like Michael Jordan, uh, and I'm sure th- this will not be the last. 
uh, on our list, probably at least on our alternates, there'll be quite a few uh, MJ commercials. But for me, my favorite when I was reviewing all of Michael Jordan's commercials, my favorite one is not a Nike or Jordan commercial, but it's a Gatorade commercial. And it's not the one you're probably thinking of the, you know, the iconic Michael Jordan uh, Gatorade commercial. Uh, this one comes came like near the end of his career. A 39-year-old Michael Jordan takes on a 23-year-old Michael Jordan in one-on-one. And it's just a minute of just like an older Michael Jordan taking on a rookie Michael Jordan one-on-one. And I think it's really cool because like the commercials back then didn't like shy away from showing like real basketball. It wasn't like staged to make it look more ridiculous than it had to be. if you watch this, it really seems like, you know, an older Michael Jordan playing against a younger Michael Jordan, the younger ones kind of going to the rim and throwing it down while the older ones playing more craftier and like hitting from mid range and, and playing defense. It's, it's a really cool like way to like use CGI in that way. I feel like a lot of commercials nowadays, like they, they use, they use the special effects in ways to make it more of like a fantasy type way where this was just like the coolest way to, project you know basketball in its finest is like just put the best player playing against himself in two different eras and, and and seeing how it comes out and i think it looks perfect and uh i i really like it i think it's my favorite michael jordan commercial but you know there's a ton to pick from in that category for sure so uh i'll take the mj one-on-one with himself and i'll take uh uh the this is sports center with lebron and Stuart scott throw it to you for your next two picks I like both of those a lot, and I'm, I'm glad you brought us into the NBA lane because I'm about to pick two NBA commercials in a row. The NBA has a lot of really good commercials, and I, I've noticed that going through that, uh, going through this and looking at different commercials, the NBA just kicks butt at this, and I've done been doing it since the 80s. Uh, the first one, I'm going to go, I don't know what year it was. I'm going to guess like 2015, 2014, NBA on ESPN, the Jingle Hoops commercial where you've got Derrick Rose, Kevin Durant, Steph Curry, James Harden, and I want to say Steve Nash. I, I, I believe it was Steve Nash was the last one, and they're, they're shooting the basketballs to the five different hoops that all have jingle bells on them, and they're making it sound like jingle bells. And at the end, LeBron swoops in, finishes the alley-oop to finish up the hey on jingle bells, and uh, it's just a fun commercial. It always pops up on social media around Christmas time. I thought it was, like, solely to promote – like the NBA on, on Christmas, like the games. It was also to promote those jerseys, the sleeve jerseys. And they're like, buy the new Christmas jerseys with sleeves exclusively on nbashop.com. I was like, whoa. I thought it was just like they're trying to promote the games. It it, it threw me for a 360. I was like, I did not know that. Uh, but, yeah, it's an iconic commercial. They did a very good job with it, uh, and I love that one. So the Jingle Hoops, I'll take that second. And then third I'm going with Kobe, and there's a couple Kobe commercials I love. And I'm going to go with the Kobe. It was, again, a retirement commercial by Nike, the Chorus of Haters. And Kobe's on the court. They're playing in Portland. And all these, all the fans are like, Kobe, you suck, after he hits a shot. And he, like, turns around, the whole place goes dark, and he starts a chorus of all the fans hating him. First, it's a Boston fan, and then a Portland fan, a Sacramento, a Knicks fan. You see Paul Pierce. You see all the iconic rivals 
of Kobe Bryant throughout his career. You've got Rasheed Wallace in there. And they're all talking about how they spent so much time hating Kobe Bryant that they can't give up now, even though he's about to retire. And they, they know they should appreciate the greatness that is Kobe, but they just got to continue to hate him. Because that's who Kobe was. Everybody loved hating Kobe Bryant, but they knew they loved hating him. And that it was a special thing with Kobe that everyone kind of understood. Like, if you're not a Lakers fan, you're supposed to hate Kobe, but you loved hating him. And he was there to knock down the big shots. And like we talked about it before, growing up, like the Phoenix Suns made me fall in love with basketball, watching Steve Nash and Amari Stoudemire. Kobe taught me quickly that it was Kobe's league. It wasn't Steve Nash and Amari Stoudemire because Kobe would hit the big shots. He would, he would be the guy to be there to hit the dagger. And we all know this. It's, I mean, it's Kobe Bryant. He's one of the greatest to ever do it. And that commercial, just the chorus of haters as he goes out to uh, – and we all know how he went out with the 60 points against the Utah Jazz in his last game. A very nice uh, touch to the end of Kobe's career. So, yeah, the chorus of haters, Kobe Bryant, Nike commercial, and the jingle hoops for my next two picks. Thought to you for your last two picks. Love those picks. I'm going to have to dip into my alternates because I had the jingle hoops one as well on my list. But uh, obviously both iconic commercials. Uh, and, and the NBA definitely deserves the credit. Uh, we, we throw a ton of heap on them for being ahead of the other leagues. And I think the advertising – uh, you know the advertising group in the NBA is one of those parts that's like ahead of all the other leagues like when I think of iconic commercials none of the uh, no, no NFL or MLB commercials really came to mind but there was a ton of NBA commercials like you said uh, I will dip into my alternate really quickly here uh, my favorite you know just simple commercial and ad campaign uh, and one pops up in my mind because there's a lot of Michigan highlights in the commercial but You'll you'll know it if you're a college football fan. It's those old college football lives here commercials for ABC. Uh, uh, yeah, college football on Saturday night on ABC. Uh, it's really simple. Just like it would be a little bit of music, and then it would be like something lives here, like tradition lives here, or you know rivalries live here, and it always would change from week to week based on like what the what game was on and what was happening. And uh, if you look it up. I think if you just look up, you know, college football lives here. There's the one that I'm thinking of that, that pops up. It's uh, it's the one when uh, Michigan and Ohio State were going to play. So uh, I think it's iconic. It really like when I want to get into the mood of like college football when we were growing up, like 2004 to 2010, like that just puts you in the mood. It's like, oh, college football lives here on, on ESPN, on ABC. That's, uh, you know, that really uh, – it, it sticks out to me. It might not stick out to, to everyone, but it sticks out to me. So I'll take that. Uh, and with my last pick, uh, I wanted to get a Nike one in there as well. Uh, I know Nike has some really good commercials and like uh, we've, we've talked about before uh, that they, they, they do really good stuff. So uh, for me, my favorite Nike commercial is the Michael Vick experience roller coaster commercial. Uh, if you haven't seen it, essentially a kid, is strapped into like a single man roller coaster with a Falcon's helmet on. He enters a dark tunnel and the lights turn on and he's in just basically a stadium playing quarterback for the Falcons with, you know, against Brian Erlacher, Brian Dawkins, all this. And this, the roller coaster takes him through like juking through the defense and he ends up doing a flip into the end zone. And I always, I always loved this commercial when I was younger. I still think it's like a pretty creative idea for an ad campaign, just like, uh, you know, 
he was that kind of guy and it was tough to like encapsulate how Michael Vick's play style was, but it was, it was like watching a roller coaster, uh, you know, like a one man roller coaster on, on the field. So I think it was a pretty creative idea. And, and I still think it's an awesome idea for like an amusement park ride. If someone like Disney was going to bring that to like an ESPN zone and get some sports fans to go on it. Like, I know it's probably hard to make a one man roller coaster work, but uh, if you needed, if you need an idea for a one man roller coaster, I would definitely pay money to go uh, on a Michael Vick experience ride like that. So uh, I'll take both of those, the Michael Vick experience ride in college football is here and I'll throw it to you for your last pick. Okay. For my last pick, I got to ask for permission to use this. Okay. Can I count pro wrestling as a sport? Yeah, of course. Okay. Awesome. Because I really wanted this commercial. And I said it might be my favorite one, but I didn't think you would take it. So I saved it for last. I'm going with a Sprite commercial. It has to be from the late 90s with Sting, the wrestler, in it. And he walks in the house and he's wrestling a little kid. And you're thinking, oh, he's going to drink the Sprite. He's going to be able to wrestle with Sting. No. Sting just wipes the kid's brains all over the house, just beating him up, going crazy. And the reason I know about this commercial is because anytime, like, there's like a little bit of beef on Twitter, you'll find gifts of this commercial everywhere. With Sting just grabbing the kid and throwing him all around the house, it's iconic. I love it. Sting was a childhood favorite of mine, and it just it sticks out to me, makes me feel nostalgic, and I'm a big fan of it. Sprite did a great job with that because it, it's something that I feel like you couldn't do today. Like if you did it today, people would probably be like, "How dare they have a grown man beat up a child?" And like you got the parents saying, "Wow, this looks really real," like playing into the joke of pro wrestling being staged. It's just it's a it's an experience of a 30 seconds just being like whoa this is insane and i i am a big fan of it so yeah the sting sprite commercial to wrap out my list uh i'll throw it to you for your honorable mentions i love that pick i just watched it while you were explaining it and i i love that pick uh for a lot of reasons it's funny uh my alternates my honorable mentions i had to dip into it get the college footballers here but I had the the Kobe Kendrick Lamar commercial, the Just Be Better. Uh, it's really self-explanatory. I can't really do it justice. It's, that's when you just kind of have to look up and watch and, and just like take in how good it was. Be Like Mike, that's the Gatorade Michael Jordan commercial I was talking about. Uh, I, I honestly like re- in rewatching it, I felt like the commercial was a bit weird. Like it's a, it felt like more of like a submission from an elementary school than a legitimate commercial because it's just like, you know, a pretty good choir. Like the song's good and it's catchy. Uh, but like the video editing is not very good. It's just like kids like playing around and Mike, Michael Jordan drink, drinking some Gatorade and then just some, you know, Gator, some Michael Jordan highlights and like a very basic title just says, be like Mike, drink Gatorade at the end. Uh, but it's so iconic. And the phrase be like Mike became so iconic because of that commercial. So it has to make a list like this. And the mean Joe Green Coke commercial, I, I feel like, you know, it, we need to mention it because it's so iconic. Obviously, neither of us were alive for that one, but I, I know of it more because it was parodied to death afterwards. And I've seen it on so many different TV shows and so many different varieties that I know it more on like comedic ways than I do the actual commercial. But I feel like if this goes on the Internet and we don't have the mean Joe Green Coke commercial, uh, we would be... Uh, you know, made a fun of. So uh, those are my alternates. Did you have any alternates that didn't make your list? 
My dad would kill me if I didn't mention the Mean Joe Green Coke commercial because he is a lifelong Steelers fan and he has made me watch that a million times. So yeah, I'm glad you mentioned the Mean Joe, mean Joe Green Coke commercial. Um, I had the NFL 100 commercial. It's a very fun, like, it's not, it's more like a PSA type, like, hey, the NFL's been around for a hundred years. Here's all of our like top stars, but it's really neat. It's got all of the big names just doing football stuff and doing their iconic moments in a little commercial. Uh, the LeBron Sprite Cranberry, because it sparked a huge meme. Like it just joined meme culture. Um, the Kobe Kanye commercial where Kobe's doing like the Mamba mentality stuff and Kanye's like, what does that mean, Kobe Bryant? Obviously, he says it in more colorful language than I did. Uh, but that's always – I've always thought that was hilarious. Um, I'm glad you brought up the Like Mike Gatorade commercial because I was sitting here, and I was like, I want that. I didn't realize it was the Gatorade commercial. And I was sitting here on my phone, like, looking up, like, Like Mike song, and it was bringing up basketball from the, from the movie Like Mike. And I was like, what am I supposed to type in? And I looked up Like Mike commercial. And, again, it was, like, the trailer for the movie. I was like, I don't know what to look up. And I, I looked up Like Mike song commercial old. And finally, I got the Gatorade commercial. And I was like, this song's awesome. Like, I was like, this is like, I want this on Spotify. But the commercial, like you said, nothing special. I was like, I, I like the song, commercial, nothing great. But yeah, definitely an honorable mention. I almost was going to put that in over the Sting commercial, but nah, the Sting commercial is better than that. The song's just, it's a classic. But yeah, I, I think that's on all of my honorable mentions. The, I, I'll throw this into all the SEC commercials they do, I love where they're just like, the SEC is Rocky Top. It is the Grove. It is all this. I think those are awesome. They, they hit their target demographic perfectly because all those people take so much pride in all those things. Like the college, like, like you were explaining, the college football is this stuff. That's perfect. The SEC, it's like those people live and die by like whatever they're saying. So it's perfect, and they run them all year long. Love those. So, yeah, definitely an honorable mention there. I think that's all mine. The only one I won't like, it's tough to like say what commercial I'm I'm talking about, but it's more like the category of like when athletes first get into whatever league it is and they get that first commercial with like the random car company or like car dealership or whatever it is. Like Kate Cunningham had a, a an ad with like Cure Auto Insurance in Michigan, and it was just so. Like, you know, the budget was like under $5,000 or something like it all went to just paying for Cade to be in the commercial. The rest of it was just, you know, so poorly done, just so terrible. But, you know, Cade just got like a bag of, of money at somewhere. Those are all hilarious for all the wrong reasons. So uh, if I if I had a perfect one, I would bring it up but there's no like one off the top of my head that i can think of but awesome stuff uh next up we're going to the question and answer segment dylan and i have questions for one another uh i went first last week so i'm gonna let dylan have a first crack at his question so dylan you're up so this past week i i've been puzzled by this because we've seen two managers fired in the mlb joe girardi of the phillies and uh, Joe Madden of the Los Angeles Angels, the Anaheim Angels, whatever you want, the Angels in the outfield, whatever you want to call them. They were both fired this week because both their teams were struggling. The Phillies, man, they turned around. They're, they're playing like the Phillies, how we thought they would be playing, just hitting a million baseballs into the outfield and just playing it. The Angels still suck. They turned a nickel back. It didn't matter. They're still losing. Um, I want to know, and this is not just for baseball, it's for any uh, professional sport, 
How important are head coaches? Because I, I don't know. I, I want to know what you have to say. How important are our coaches, head coaches, in professional sports? So I think the boring answer is, like, it definitely depends on the sport. Like, there are certain football coaches where schematically they have a bigger impact than others. Like, I think Cliff Kingsbury is, like, a big example of that, where it's, like, he is a big difference maker, whether it's wins and losses. Like, he, his game looks different than, like, a, a, another person. Whereas I think in baseball, it's probably the lowest impact and the lowest impact it's ever been, uh, like, a manager has on their team, especially with the, the role analytics play. But I think the the real answer is no matter the sport is they certainly play a much smaller role than any of us think like anyone in the media or any fans think, because when things go wrong, we are all very, very quick to put blame on the, on the coaching staff, if not solely like on the head coach. And when a guy or girl is commanding the likes of 15 grown adults on a basketball team or f- up to 53 guys in the ML or in the NFL uh, and a 40 man roster in the MLB, like their week to week performance is not going to be impacted by a head coach. Like he's not teaching any of those people, anything new, Like he maybe is refining people's skills. He's maybe giving them the tools to train better and take things upon themselves to be better, but he's not making huge differences in the way that they play the game. And he's not making huge personnel decisions either like we think about a head coach you know making the decisions of like who to start and who's not most starters are like that's like in their contract they are signed to go be a starter on a team they're not usually going to be benched if they signed a 40 million 80 million dollar contract in the off season so uh there's not going to be huge uh you know personnel decisions that a head coach is going to make and in baseball uh, it's even less because analytics play such a big role in, in the decisions and that types of process that guys like Joe Madden and Joe Girardi have very little to say in what's going on in their team. Uh, they're more just like the head PR guy. You know, they're the guys that have to answer to the media and the people that have to, you know, say what, what's going wrong when things are going bad and, you know, have to answer to people when things are going right. You know, I, I've seen, you know, I think this, I, I think, there needs to be a revolution in like how we look at head coaches because I saw like the Detroit media run Jim Caldwell out of a job here. Uh, and he was a winning head coach at Detroit. He had a winning record when he got fired and being a winning head coach in Detroit uh, on any of our pro teams, as I mentioned last week, it's not easy to do. And for the Detroit lions, it's not easy to do. So like when you're running them out of towns for like simple mistakes, simple little things and like that, uh, especially in pro sports. It's like, it's tough to do that because I do think they make such a little difference. I think a great example is, you know, Popovich and the Spurs and Belichick and the Patriots. Like, you know, they were great. Co- they're great coaches. and No one's going to argue that they're not great coaches, but when they don't have the players, they're not making a huge difference. Like the Spurs are still not that good. And the Patriots were still not that great last year. Like th- they're not making as big of differences as the athletes are, I think in this case. So I think we would do a lot better as fans and as media is just give coaches a little bit more time to like do what they need to do in certain situations. Because I don't think, I don't think Joe Madden was the fault of the angels. Like the angels have been bad for so long. Like they, like, I don't think, you know, Joe Girard, like the Phillies have been bad for a very long time. I, I don't think they got done and accomplished what they were set out to do, but it's tough to do when you're, you know, one person trying to control a franchise's destiny and, you know, produce wins and losses, you know, it's more around the, 
the 40 or the 53 guys that you're trying to, you know, lead uh, to, to get it done and, you know, get them to buy in. But, you know, that's my opinion. What are you, what are you thinking about it? So I kind of tiered it and I, I looked at it by sport. Like you said, I, I know it's a boring way to look at, it, but it, it is, it's different by each sport. And I went, I think very important. I don't know. And somewhat. And for, I think very important. I said football and baseball. Because I think those are the two sports where you see, uh, in my mind anyways, I, I see you decide the, the personnel that's on the field. And then football, I mean, calling plays. There's, I mean, if, if you have Derrick Henry, for example, and you're calling 70 pass plays, that's negligence. And obviously Mike Vrabel doesn't do that. He wears a hat that says run the damn ball. I mean, Mike Vrabel understood. And I think that's a great example for me anyways. Mike Vrabel, I think, makes the Titans better. He does little things that he's allowed to do because the organization believes in him and his ability to lead the team where he manipulates the clock to where the Titans have the ball for longer than maybe they should. And he does just little things to take advantage of the rules where he's learned from a guy like Bill Belichick, who I also think makes his team better in ways that maybe his team couldn't do. The guys on the field maybe aren't the best. They, he doesn't have Tom Brady anymore, but he knows how to take advantage and do little things to win games. I think Vrabel's in the same vein. And I, I think that makes it where football, the coaching is a little bit more important. It, like, obviously, I think Dan Campbell is going to be a good coach. No matter how – like, he could have been the greatest coach in the world last year. The Lions still weren't going to be great. Like, it, it still depends on who you have, the personnel, all that – but it also, I mean, once he starts getting, like, the Lions have, are going to have higher expectations this year because there's more talent on the roster. Now we'll get to see just how good of a coach he is. What can he do with when they're better? If they're 0-7 week, going into week eight, there's going to be a lot of talks. Maybe this guy isn't the best coach in the world. Um, baseball, I think, like, I, baseball's weird. And obviously I take it back to the teams I follow. Ollie Marmel and Mike Schilt uh, have been the last two managers for the Cardinals and it seems like I'm just seeing like the same things where they make weird calls to the bullpen and obviously this year with there being no uh pitcher hitting uh, there's like there's never pinch hit opportunity so I'm like oh well don't have to worry about that Schilt would maybe pull up a pitcher when he's hot and it's like return to the bullpen what are we doing um I, I again with it, baseball it's more bullpen pitch hit situations all that and I like it can be important because like it was two nights ago now. It was game one of a three-game series against the Tampa Bay Rays. The Cardinals chose to stick with Drew Verhagen in the bottom of the 11th instead of going to a guy like Ryan Helsley, who's got a .5 ERA, and we've used it as our closer. And Verhagen gave up a three-run home run to lose the game. And it's like, I get that he dealed in the bottom of the 10th, but why not go to your closer? You took the lead. Like, what are we doing here? And it's it's boneheaded – uh, head scratching play or uh, decisions like that. They're like, what's going on? Why would he choose to do that? But I mean, that's why he, like you said, it's PR things. He's the one that gets to sit there and be like, Hey, it was my decision. And he takes the flack for it. That's why he gets paid the big bucks. Um, the IDK hockey and soccer. Cause I have no clue. I know like hockey, you've got the lines and that's that that's a big part of it, but I am very much a hockey, like, uh, casual so I don't know soccer I know you get like so many substitutions 
I don't know. I, I'm sure it's very important. I know when Team USA sucked, they're like, hey, we got to get a new coach. We, we, we need a new coach in here. And basketball, somewhat. It's somewhat important because I think you've got a team that's got LeBron James, Anthony Davis. You can have Frank Vogel as your coach. It's like, I don't think Frank Vogel's a bad coach, but he's obviously not the best coach in the NBA. But I think a good coach can really help a team. I, I think Taylor Jenkins was the perfect hire for the Memphis Grizzlies. And again, I'm taking this back to all the teams I follow. Taylor Jenkins is a good coach. He does a very good job of uh, handling rotations and making sure the right guys are in the game at the right time. I know some people don't agree when things don't go right, but as we know, the Grizzlies have overperformed from what they should have done the last couple of years in a rebuild. Um, You've seen what they did this year when Ja was out. I mean, they're the second best team in the West and they're super good when Ja was out. That's without the superstar player. Um, and I, I think that's rotations and telling or running plays, the style of play, it, it goes a long way. But when you've got superstars, it, that can outweigh it. But at the same time, you see a team like Brooklyn where you've got Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving, and you've got a first-year head coach in Steve Nash, and things didn't go great. So I don't know. And you get Boston, who has kind of been on the rocks the last few, few years. We maybe thought they reached their peak. And then you get a guy like Ima Yudoka, who's been praised for years. He comes in, and now they're in the finals, and they've got a lot of momentum, and we're going to talk about that later. So, I don't know. I think basketball, you can overcome poor coaching, but I think good coaching adds a lot to it, if that makes sense. I, I think good coaching, obviously, is always a plus. Like that, like that, I think that's obvious. You see what great coaches do. They win championships. But you can win with bad coaching. I don't think that's – in basketball, anyways, I, I don't think you have to have a Hall of Fame coach to win the finals. Obviously, having a guy like Steve Kerr or Greg Popovich, Eric Spolster, all those guys is a major plus. But if you've got superstars around the court, you can overcome it. I think it's it's one of those things that is maybe looked at too much and magnified too much. But I, I think in basketball, anyways, I don't think it's as important as baseball or football, in my opinion. But yeah, I I don't know. Overall, if you had to like put them all together and like make like an average of like important importantness of all the sports, all the major pro sports, it'd be like, be like a three and a half out of five. And like, there's definitely things that are more important to a team's success than coaching. Like the personnel, like you said, goes a long way and what the general manager and the ownership and all that allow the coaches to do and allow the players to do goes a long way. Like we know if a franchise is poorly ran, good coaching is probably not going to change it. And so, I mean, it's good coaching goes a long way, but it's not the be all end all in my opinion. Yeah. I think good coaching more. And as we talked through it there, it's like it more is a bigger deal to like good teams that are competitive because when you look at a bad team, you know, if they have, the, they could have the best coach, they could have the worst coach. It's really not going to change when they don't have the personnel to compete. I think it's more of like when you're a championship caliber team, you want, the better coach than the, you know, the worst off coach. That's when you find out really about your coaching staff. Uh, so I think it's tough to make decisions and like judge a coach when they don't have the personnel to really make it to, you know, that level to even show what they've got at that, at that stage. So uh, moving on to my question, it revolves around the college world series, which we've been watching these past couple of weeks. Uh, I think it's a good time to have this conversation because we've gone through a full year of the show. Now we've seen basically all the championships we can see. We've seen all the postseason formats we can see. 
uh, single elimination in the NFL playoffs, the college football playoffs in March Madness, double elimination in the College World Series, and then a series of games, obviously, in the MLB and the NBA. My question is, which format do you, Dylan Holt, prefer to choose a champion? I like me a good old single elimination. I think you can't beat the thrill of a winner go home. It is just something else. Obviously, I think like double elimination probably gets you like the best team or probably a series. You get the best team wins, but no, let's just go out there, play one game. Whoever's the better team that day moves on. The Cincinnati Bengals were not the best team in the AFC. I, I still believe that. I don't think they're the best team in the AFC. And they, I mean, they just got hot and they won three games, four games, whatever it was, and got to the Super Bowl. And they nearly won the Super Bowl. Like, they were really, really close. I still don't think they were the best team in the AFC. I don't, I, they were probably like third or fourth. And that's like awesome that they were that close to being world champions. I'm all about it. I, I obviously it sucks like being a Titans fan. Like, the Titans could have been there, but hey, it was their day. They were hot. So I like the idea of, like Tennessee has been dominant in college baseball this year. They played Notre Dame this weekend in the Super Regionals. The ball has bounced the wrong way. Tennessee's done. That's kind of electric. I, I'm kind of all about it. You, Tennessee's kind of become this evil empire in college baseball, which is really cool, I think, because they suck it. They've sucked at everything for so long. So now that Tennessee's like the big bad boys, it's pretty cool. Um, and Notre Dame can just like. They could be on one to nothing. And all of a sudden, all that, like the best season in school history is just over. That's wild. And I, I kind of like it. I like, you get the feeling of March Madness. I, that is the best postseason. I'll live and die by it. I think it's the best. And I wish the NBA playoffs were like that. We'd be, we would have been done with them like two months ago. We, we would already have a champion. Like it, we'd be chilling. Um, but I think the best way to do it, as I, thought about and this is cheating this is a cheat answer and i don't care first round of a playoff you do winner go home single elimination second round you do a three-game series or double elimination uh third round five game series championship seven game series i think that's the best way to do it you get more games you find out the better teams as you go because like you like i said not like you said um a team can get hot like the cincinnati Bengals, and that cool you win and you advance then you've got to really go to work. You These teams that are here for a reason, You we find out who the best team is. So maybe the best team gets knocked out, but the team that knocked them out, Cinderella will probably run out pretty soon because you got to you gotta win a couple games. You know, win two games and three games and four games. And I, I think that would be a fun way to do a postseason. But that's just me spitballing. What do you think is the best postseason uh, format? I, I I would have been right with you for the most part uh, until really like sitting down and watching this College World Series. And I, I've become a huge fan of the double elimination format. I think I, I like the fact that a team is not penalized for one bad game, like in football or in college basketball, because like, like I think back on it, like could Michigan have beaten Georgia twice or even Alabama once or gone on to beat Cincinnati in that loser's bracket? You know, I don't know, but I would feel a lot more sure of myself if we had that data to look at, if we had like a second game to look at where we're not being like, okay, did we just show up and play badly that day where we just had no chance because we weren't going to beat anyone that day rather than it was like we were the worst team that day. I think double elimination gives you that. And it, and it like, it like, I think with, the NBA playoffs, we've seen a few times where like the series is over and 
it's it's over by game one and we all know who's going to win the series and we don't need to have a drag on forever. Uh, but with a double elimination, the series like can't get stale because like, you're getting new teams all the time. It's like once you lose a game, you're on the verge of being eliminated. Well, if you win a game, you're in that that winner's bracket and you're feeling good about yourself. But you're always on the verge of, you know, two games and you're done. So uh, I, I think it's a better way for a fan as a casual and as a casual watcher because you're getting more of a realistic look at, you know, who's the better team and who's not. It's not just like the, like the one game, you know, I, I like it when a team gets hot and you can get those upset, uh, you know, upset games like you do in March Madness and stuff like that. Uh, but it also takes away from you, like you said, like a team like Tennessee who has, you know, everything going for them has played so well during the year uh, and then could lose it on one game. Uh, you know, I, I, I've been covering, you know, high school baseball in Michigan this week, high school baseball and high school softball and their, their playoffs are single elimination as well. And it, it sucks for teams when they, you know, they come out and they just have a bad game or, or they go up against a pitcher who is the number one, the clear number one, when they could have, you know, maybe done some damage against the number two pitcher. So I think that's where I like the double elimination stuff. It doesn't penalize a team for not being, you know, on their game for one game, but it, it also creates different scenarios like elimination games for those, for those teams where you're, you have to beat a team twice, you know, like Louisville did had to do against Michigan and they ended up doing it. So it's like, you know, I like those types of situations. It, it creates for more, you know, different situations that we're not used to because we're so used to, you know, either the seven game series or the single game elimination stuff. So, uh, you know, I think maybe it's just like a different way to look at it for some, you know, leagues and, and, and you know, Hopefully, you know, we've talked about how the NBA is, you know, so forward thinking and looking ahead. You know, maybe there's a league out there that, you know, s- trying to find a way to make their postseason a little bit better uh, and, and might like take a look at that. So, because I think, you know, just doing it cookie cutter way every time, either a seven game series or a single elimination, is, it's not, you know, that's not the way of the future. There's, there's going to be different ways to do it uh, as we move forward. So uh, I'm excited to see it. I like the way college baseball is doing it right now. Um, all right, moving on to this week in sports, a new golf league is officially forming and it's taking some of the PGA's biggest stars with them. Phil Mickelson, Sergio Garcia, Dustin Johnson, among others, have officially left the PGA Tour and are playing in the inaugural Live Golf event near London this week. This is a pretty big deal. I know Phil had flirted with leaving uh, a few months back, and now it's official. And based on the PGA's reaction, they see this league as a real threat. They suspended those golfers and barred them from future PGA events. Uh, Dylan, what has been your reaction to the news uh, of these guys leaving, and what do you think the impact will be on PGA on the PGA Tour and golf itself? So I honestly had no idea this was happening. Uh, hand to God. I, we've talked about it. We're not huge golf guys. I had heard like mummerings, and I, I, I've mentioned this before. I love Brooks Kepka. I think he's awesome. And I follow him on Twitter. And yesterday I noticed I was just kind of scrolling and he tweeted out the eyeball emojis. And I was like, well, what's all, what's all this about? What's Brooks doing? And I clicked on it and all these people were like, oh no, Brooks is going, he's going to leave too. What's happening? The PGA is falling apart. And I was like, whoa. And then we, we talked about adding this to the show and I was like, well, I guess I got to do some research about golf. And it seems like this is a good thing in my opinion. It, it seems like there's there's been problems with the PGA that golfers have had, that spectators have had, fans have had with the PGA. And it's adding a second league almost. And I'm like, okay, competition's always good. 
And I, I'm all for that. Um, by the way, if you're wondering what Brooks's eyeball emojis were, I kind of left that. Um, he ended up hours later, because that's Brooks Kepka being a troll. He tweeted out, he said, oh yeah, forgot the link. And it was an article about Saquon Barkley looking healthy. And I was like, ah, that's good. That's really good. Um, but back to what I was saying. I think it's I think it's a good thing. I think competition between two leagues fighting over trying to get the best players is a good thing. It's what we need. Oh, we need like the USFL to like pry players from the NFL. Be like, okay, there's a backup quarterback that's not like Nick Foles. Come play in the USFL. Obviously, that's not to the level of Phil Mickelson. But like, okay, okay, I've got one. Baker Mayfield. He's kind of in purgatory right now where no one wants to trade for him because we have a QB heavy draft class next year. And he's got, he's got all the expectations in the world because he's Baker Mayfield. Got all the drama with Cleveland that's going on. Why wouldn't – like? could you imagine if Baker Mayfield showed up in the USFL and everybody's like, whoa, now i got to check out Baker in the USFL. I feel like that's kind of – again, Baker's not to the level of Phil Mickelson. Uh, but – I just think it's good. I, I think it's good competition. It'll get if the PGA, like I understand, is there's some concerns uh, between of people with the PGA. Uh, it's a good thing. Maybe they'll they'll open their ears. We we were literally just talking about how the NBA is kind of a on the on the on top of things about adjusting. Maybe the PGA will be like, okay, maybe we need to adjust. Of course, golf is kind of the old man's game where they're kind of stuck in tradition, kind of like baseball, but uh, maybe they'll be like, okay, we've got to, we've got to open our heads, open our ears and kind of adjust. Cause we're going to lose our guys to this. Is it live or L I V? Cause I was very confused by that. It is live. Okay. So I was like, what is this super bowl golf company or league? I was like super bowl L I V golf. That's the first thing I thought of when I saw it. Um, but yeah, I think it's, I think the PGA has made themselves look really bad and all this suspending all the players. It's like the PGA doesn't know if this is going to be a huge success. It very well could be by them coming out. Like Jay Monahan said, these players have made their choice, uh, on their own, on their own for, for their own financial based reasons. You know, it'd be nice if I could read my handwriting. I wrote that down and I just got lost in my handwriting. He's the PGA tour commissioner. And that's what he said. Like, these are some of your great players. Phil Mickelson's an all-time great, and he's just kind of ostracizing him. I don't think that's a good decision. That I mean, that's me. I, I just hope – I hope this brings great golf out of this. I, that's all you can hope as, like, as a guy that's a casual golf viewer. I'm like, oh, Tiger's about to win a tournament. Let me turn it on. Or, hey, this might open up opportunities for other golfers in the PGA. Shout out Garrett May. Maybe he can get up there and take a spot from one of these 17 golfers that have bolted. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't think it's a great look for the PGA creating ultimatums for guys that have already left. I don't know. I It's a weird look for the PGA. But also, I'm not the most educated in the PGA and the politics and all that. So I don't know. I, I never think a new sporting league is bad. I don't think, I don't think that's ever a bad thing. But um, I don't know. It could go several ways. Uh, the PGA, I think they need to be careful because you don't want the new guy to come in and sweep you off your feet. And that, I don't know, it feels like that they've got a lot of momentum getting guys like Phil Mickelson, Dustin Johnson, Sergio Garcia, and 14 other guys. That feels like a significant number of golfers. Yeah, I, 
I don't know. I think it's going to be something to watch in the weeks and months and years to come, especially if they can get into that year's realm where they can get longevity. That's that's a huge thing. We've seen it with those football leagues where they survive for like eight weeks and then they die. It, with them having these big names, and obviously, from what I understand, it's a lot of money they're guaranteeing these golfers. That could be huge. And I, I'd like to see longevity they can have and if they can actually compete with the PGA. But yeah. Uh, what do you think about all this? So I, it's a weird scenario. I, I, I think there's definitely a growing number of golf fans, especially in America. I think the pandemic probably made that number balloon, like the number of fans uh, that, that golf has right now. And I think if any league was vulnerable to a second league coming up and kind of snatching a big number of their like athletes, it was the PGA. Cause you know, those, those guys are solo guys and, and they can essentially just kind of steal a big chunk of their market by stealing a bunch of their, their golfers. Uh, I do think the PGA tour will inevitably be fine just because of the infrastructure they have built around it. Like, uh, you know, I, I have my reservations taking on, you know, even a, a behemoth like the PGA, like the name of golf in the U S is the PGA. They have tons of leagues. They have the PGA Latin America tour, like Garrett's on, they have a ton of those pro amateur type leagues. They have a ton of amateur tournaments going around across the country all the time. Uh, they have, thousands upon thousands of young golfers trying not to just be pro golfers, but P PGA tour golfers. Like that's the end all be all goal. Uh, and, and while I don't mind these guys like going to get paid, I just don't think it's going to be like longevity, like a good, you know, a long, like you, you gotta do so much more than just pay some of the biggest golfers in the world to be on your tour. Then to, to, to have a successful league, you've got to have, you know, you've got to have like these amateur tournaments that provide opportunities for golfers to get better and provide you with talent for years to come. And I don't think live uh, has definitely done that. And, you know, you don't, we don't have to get into the politics of like the financial benefactors of the live golf tour or whatever it may be. Uh, I just think uh, like, I, I think the golfers more may, maybe made it like a, you know, they got a ton of money. So probably they're going to be able to retire with a good amount of money, regardless of how this all plays out. I just think for the guys that want to golf at a professional level down the road, uh, breaking ties with a, with a group like the PGA tour uh, is, is not going to be beneficial for them down the road. I, I just think it's kind of a short sighted grab the bag type of move, which all for it, you know, go get your money if you've got it. But uh, you know, it's at the same time, uh, you know, we're, you're looking at a couple guys that can't play the sports that we would, that we grew up playing. And I think anytime uh, you shorten, you know, the amount of time you can play a sport like that uh, is not a good thing. Uh, and I, 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 I just think with the, you know, amount of time that I think that live will stick around. I just don't think it's going to be, end up being a beneficial thing for the, some of those younger guys, at least, you know, some of those guys that have, you know, maybe, 30, 40 more years on the PGA tour ahead of them. Uh, they're, they're getting this bag, you know, now, but you know, 10 years down the road and lives not a thing anymore. They're, they're going to be like, Oh, I wish I didn't burn that bridge with the PGA tour, to, uh, you know, back then, but we'll, we'll see, like you said, it's going to be something to watch. This is very new, very fresh. Uh, they're just getting that first tournament done now. So uh, we'll have to see the impact of what it has down the road. But like I said, I think the PGA tour will be fine. There's a bunch of young talented golfers that are, are going to you know take their place so uh uh we'll move on now to the picks time uh the picks portion of the show uh it's friday dylan's got something to say i have to 
I have to tell this. I so I have Jeff Passan's tweets on, so it sends it to me every time he tweets. <laughs> Tony Larusa. God love Tony Larusa. They're the White Sox are playing the Dodgers right now. Trey Turner had a one-two count. And as we all know as baseball fans, that means two strikes. Tony LaRusa decided to intentionally walk Trey Turner with a one-two count to put Trey Turner on base. One of the fastest men in baseball, maybe in all of sports, and then bring Max Muncy up to the plate, a very dangerous hitter. Max Muncy then hit a three-run home run. Tony LaRusa, God bless him. I just had to had – to, had to bless your ears with that. I'm sure you've seen it because I'm sure everyone's going to mock Tony LaRussa on the internet, on your airways, whatever you might see. But yeah, God bless Tony LaRussa. What a move. What a move. I can't even, uh, I have no comment on that. All right. It's time for the picks. Friday, Warrior Celtics game four. The Celtics, Celtics have taken the two to one lead. Uh, it's game four. It's in Boston. Dylan, who you got? I love the Celtics. I really, really like this Celtics team. The Garden was rocking last night, uh, Wednesday night. I'm going to rock with the Celtics. I'm rocking with Jason Tatum. Jalen Brown's been awesome. Marcus Smart's awesome. I really – I try to like the Warriors. So I'm like, they're the modern dynasty. I like – I want to like them. I want to appreciate the greatness. They're so unlikable. They're just really, really unlikable. I can't – like – I know Boston fans didn't treat Draymond with the ultimate respect, but that's Boston. That's what Boston does. And like Clay Thompson tried to get on his high horse and they're like real classy, but Boston doesn't care. Like they just don't. That's Boston. I think they're going to, I think Boston might curb stomp them. I kind of hope they do. It's the Warriors. They deserve it. They've had too much success. I, Saying too much because Boston has the most championships ever. But yeah, I, I'm going with the Celtics to take a 3-1 lead, a commanding 3-1 lead in the NBA Finals. Who do you have in game four? So I said that the Celtics had to win game one so that the Warriors could win a game on the road and we'd still have a game seven. That played out right. I still think the Warriors will win at least one game on the road. I I, I still think I I can't don't quote me on the stat uh, if you're you know writing an article or anything, but I do think the stat is that the Warriors have won at least one road game in each of the last 26 playoff series they've been in. If they're gonna do it and it's gonna go to Game Seven, it'll be tonight or yeah tonight. If you're listening to this on Friday tonight, uh, I think the Warriors take Game Four on the road. We get two two going back to San Francisco, so uh, I'll take the Warriors in this one. Uh, I'm rooting for Game Seven. That's all I want. I want if we can get to Game Seven, that's then it's been a successful Finals. So uh, I hope they are still playing basketball by the next time we record. Uh, that's going to do it from us here at Dylan Dylan Show this week. Uh, Dylan, you got any final thoughts? I sure do. Starting this weekend in Knoxville, Tennessee, the Super Regional, Tennessee and Notre Dame. I am so excited. Tennessee, they are just – they're special. They've won like a million games this year, and they've hit more home runs and runs they've allowed. They're on a special, special, special run. Notre Dame's gave them bulletin board material all week long. They're a team that's just – They've dug into this villain mentality. They did that dating all the way back to last year going into the College World Series. I'm so excited. Notre Dame fans are already talking trash. I'm so pumped up to see what Drew Gilbert and Trey Lipscomb and Evan Russell and all the boys do. I, I'm so fired up. There's not often that I get to get fired up 
legitimately about a Tennessee team on the cusp of a national championship. And that's what this feels like. I've never had this feeling. Tennessee won a national championship in 1998 in football. And I, I was alive. I was certainly alive. And it feels like Tennessee's right there in baseball. And it's really, really exciting. Um, hopefully next week we still have basketball going and Tennessee's in the college world series in Omaha. But yeah, we'll see you then. They probably won't be because I'm sure it'll go awful this weekend. But yeah. All right. Here's where you can find us. You can find the show at Dylan Dylan show on Instagram and Twitter. You can find tunnel business sports on Instagram at tunnel business sports underscore on TikTok and Twitter at underscore TV sports and on Facebook and LinkedIn at tunnel vision sports and on the web at TV sports Thank you so much for listening. Everyone have a great weekend and we will see you all next week. Goodbye.